You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, and before we jump into today's episode, I want to ask a huge favor of you. If you haven't yet left a rating and review of 3 and 30 on your podcast listening app, can you pause and do that now? I don't often ask for reviews. In fact, I think it's been almost a year since I've mentioned it on the show, but reviews really do help boost a podcast's visibility and attract more listeners, as well as attracting awesome guests. I have some really impressive guests I want to invite to be on the show in the next few months, and if they see a lot of quality reviews on a podcast, they are more likely to say yes to coming on. So will you help me? Just to make it fun, I'm going to add a little giveaway component to this request for reviews. Anyone who leaves a review between now and July 17th will be entered to win a care package from Care Crates, a company I love and use often. And as a bit of background on this company, Care Crates makes it easy for you to send customized care packages to the people you love, filled with premium snacks, self-care necessities, and high-quality gifts. When you go to their website, you can choose one of their curated care packages, such as the Celecrate for someone who has just reached a significant milestone, or the Comfort Crate for someone who has gone through a loss. You can also choose the Build Your Own option and handpick what goes into your care package based on the person you're sending it to. It makes supporting your friends and family so easy. You can order a care crate for a loved one anytime by going to sendacarecrate.com and using the code 3 and 30 for 15% off. And if you'd like to win one from me, hit pause on the podcast right now and go tell me what you think of the show and how it's impacting your life. I read every single review that comes in and they truly encourage me. So thank you so much in advance for helping me with this. And I can't wait to send you some love with your own care crate. Welcome to three and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. With summer in full swing and my kids spending nearly all day every day together, I have seen a significant uptick in their sibling rivalry over the past few weeks. Anyone else? I think sibling fighting is one of the most common and heaviest problems that moms struggle with on a daily basis. As parents, we sometimes feel like we have no control over the relationships our children form with each other, and it can feel so discouraging. I know I myself have said things like, my children are both just so strong-willed, their personalities just clash, there's nothing I can do to help them get along. And yet it is truly one of my deepest, dearest hopes that my children can grow up to become great friends, confidants, and protectors of each other, like my sisters and I are. Sometimes that just feels like such a giant crapshoot. Maybe they will, maybe they won't, but there's probably not much I can do to force it or make sure it happens. While it's true that we can't actually dictate that our kids will have good relationships with each other long term or else... There actually is a lot that we can do to make it much more likely that our kids will develop close friendships. And the best news of all is that it has nothing to do with what they are doing and everything to do with what we are doing as their parent. For the next two weeks on the podcast, I'm thrilled to be re-airing two episodes with one of the world's most renowned experts on sibling rivalry, Dr. Laura Markham. This series of episodes originally aired in the summer of 2020, and they remain some of the most impactful conversations I have ever had on the show. So I knew I had to bring them back for anyone who's a new listener of the show and may have missed these episodes the first time they aired, 
as well as for you seasoned listeners who did hear these episodes the first time, but may need a refresher on how to navigate these tricky sibling relationships. By way of background, Dr. Laura Markham is a mother of two children who are now thriving young adults. She earned her PhD in clinical psychology from Columbia University and is the author of several outstanding books on parenting, including the book that we're going to discuss in depth today, Peaceful Parent, Happy Siblings, How to Stop the Fighting and Raise Friends for Life. Our three takeaways for this episode are actually the three major lessons that I came away with when I read her book, and it was so exciting to be able to discuss them with the author herself. Though my children are young and Dr. Laura and I kind of stay focused there during this episode, I challenge you to think about how each of these takeaways could apply to your relationship with your children, even if your children are older or teenagers. These research-backed takeaways relate to all humans, no matter their age. So with no further ado, here's our episode titled, Three Foolproof Ways to Reduce Sibling Rivalry. Here we go. Dr. Laura Markham, welcome to 3 and 30. I'm delighted to be with you. I'm just especially excited to have you on during this time. I know a lot of families are spending a lot of time together and sibling relationships are perhaps flaring up a little bit. So moms are in need of these tools that you've taught me. And one thing that your book taught me that's been so valuable is that I really do have a lot of control over the relationships that my kids form. That's good news because so much of sibling relationships is about my behavior, But in some ways, that's also kind of heavy and hard news, too. And it can bring up some guilt when I realize that what I'm doing is having a direct impact there. But I know that your book and this episode, we want it to be filled with so much hope for moms. Absolutely. I also want to start by saying no shame, no blame. no. The fact that you have discovered you have a superpower doesn't mean you're to be blamed for not having used it in the past. You just Mm. discovered it, right? So the superpower is that you actually have a big impact on how your kids relate. Yes. So yes, I just want to start by saying no, no guilt here. That doesn't help anybody. Yes. Give yourself some grace here. Give yourself the permission to not have used the superpower in the past. And you don't have to use it perfectly now. You know, Mm. you may... Find yourself doing exactly the opposite of what I'm saying later today. And that's okay, too, because that shows you, oh, this is what she meant. And then next time, you'll have a more clear sense of when you want to switch gears. Absolutely. I think of it as opportunities to practice. So when I screw up and I yes. and I yell at my kids or whatever, I think, oh, mess that one up. Guess what? I'll have an opportunity to practice again in about three minutes, probably. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, parenting, there's there's endless opportunities to practice, keeping your cool, mediating well, all these things. So instead of being harsh with myself, I try to just think it's an opportunity to practice. Yes. And the three ways that I learned I can control, help to control my kids' relationships are first, I can control the way that I model self-regulation to my children. So basically, I can control my own behavior and how I react to emotions. And then second, I can control how much I invest in connecting with each of my children individually. And third, I can control how I intervene in my children's conflicts. And those are three really big factors that will dramatically impact the amount of sibling rivalry that we have in our home. So I was wondering if you could just go through each one of those sort of categories and teach us a little bit 
about how our behavior impacts our kids' behavior in these ways. Okay. So takeaway number one, modeling self-regulation. So self-regulation, what is that? Self-regulation means that you notice what you're saying and doing, and you make conscious choices about it. Mm -hmm. We all are going to have feelings sometimes of anger, of um, frustration, of wanting to, you know, reach out and yank our kid away from our other kid when they're teasing them. Self-regulation means that you notice the feeling as it's brewing and you decide how you want to act. You can be livid, but we stop, drop our agenda and breathe. Take a deep breath. That's what keeps us from getting hijacked. That's then we have a choice about how to respond to the situation. Yeah. Now, why does that impact your children's relationship with each other? Well, because they learn it from us. Mm. It's not the only place they learn it. Certainly kids will hit when you've never hit them. Mm -hmm. They will lash out and hit, right? So kids do have their own feelings and their own volition to, to react to those feelings. Mm -hmm. But the short takeaway here for you is with siblings, the way they treat each other is going to be partly, and it, it's going to be strongly influenced by the way they see you solve problems when you're angry. Yes. And one thing that you say often in your book is children learn what they live. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so true. The way that they see us handle anger, the way we talk to them, they will mimic that. And sometimes that is painful because you hear your kid talking to their sibling and you're like, Oh, he learned that from me. <laughs> you know? yeah. So like one thing, yeah. my eight year old was yelling at his little sister the other day. And I said, please don't yell at her. And he said, I told her nicely the first four times, but yelling is the only thing that gets through to her. And I thought, where has he heard that before? Mm. <laughs> like, you know, cause so often I'll say, I asked you nicely the first, however many mm -hmm. times. And why does it's yelling? It takes yelling. And he had learned that and applied it to his little sister, which I feel like is another thing that was really eye-opening when I read your book is that you said that when children feel powerless, they will take it out on someone who's less powerful than them. And so if they feel powerless because of how you're treating them, they will turn around and try to make someone else feel smaller. So what is one practical strategy for managing our own anger and anxiety when our kid, when we're getting triggered by our kids? How do we manage that? Well, the reason you're in a rage is you're feeling threatened. Now, you may be threatened on behalf of the younger child who's being picked on. Mm -hmm. You may be feeling threatened because you feel like, oh my goodness, what's wrong with this child? I've told him a thousand times. You may mm -hmm. be feeling threatened because you're realizing that more than anything, I want them to get along and they don't. Yes. And you're just devastated by that. So you could be feeling threatened for any number of reasons. But when we feel threatened, what do we do? We lash out. Mm. Make it a practice to remind yourself it's not an emergency, to give yourself some way to talk yourself off the cliff. Mm. At that moment... If your four-year-old has just knocked your two-year-old down again for the 10th time today, you may feel like it is an emergency, right? And that your four-year-old is a monster and you need to swoop in there like an avenging angel and set him straight. But in fact, he's your four-year-old. He's your beloved child as well. 
And so to talk yourself off that cliff, you could do any number of things. You could say, the four-year-old needs my help. He's having a really hard time today, Mm. right? Yeah. You could say, you could do that. It's not an emergency. Yes. And I think so often what does feel like an emergency, you know, if we look at it objectively, isn't like it, it does feel like a bit of emergency when your child hits the baby, but really stop. Is the baby okay? The baby's okay. You know, it's like, so just reframing and stepping back and saying it's not almost nothing is a true emergency. And if we can remember that, then we can calm ourselves down and react the way that we want to, which is this first step in modeling for our children how to deal with emotions. And I do want to say to mom who's listening right now who's saying, but it is an emergency when he hits the baby. I want to say that at that moment, it feels like it. And it feels like it could have been worse. What if it was worse, right? But if you respond by lashing out at the four-year-old, I guarantee you that not only will it happen again, it will be worse next time. Mm. So there's an, it's... It's not just a question of, oh, you want to be nice to your four-year-old or whichever child's doing the hitting. It's also a question of what's going to actually work effectively in the situation to stop this from happening again. And it does not work. And we'll talk about this when we get to intervening in fights. It does not work to jump in and attack the child who just lashed out. That will make things worse next time. Yes, absolutely. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. My friends, long summer days at home with kids can be tough. I don't want to discount the magical moments and memories that are made during the summer, but today's podcast topic about sibling rivalry, in my opinion, is one of the most difficult parts of parenthood. I want you to know that I cannot recommend therapy highly enough, especially for mothers who are trying to manage their children's emotional needs in addition to their own. Through my years of counseling, I have learned tools that make me much less likely to lose my temper or to worry excessively about my kids in situations that I have no control over, and I have been so grateful to have a confidential place to talk through many of my parenting struggles, including the struggles that my kids have with sibling rivalry. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. 3 and 30 listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash 3 and 30. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash 3 and 30. This podcast is also sponsored by Pear Eyewear. If you've ever seen a photo or a video of me, you know that I wear glasses all day, every day. In fact, I've been thinking that I really need to change the cover art for my podcast because I'm not wearing my glasses in it, and I really don't even look like myself. Glasses are a part of my look and my style, and I'm honored to partner with Pear Eyewear, an incredibly innovative eyewear company that allows you to personalize your glasses by switching out the top frames depending on your mood. Every base frame from Pear is magnetic, so you can snap on a fun topper for a special occasion or when you just want to mix up your look. They have holiday toppers for when you want to be festive, sports team toppers for when you want to support your favorite team, even Harry Potter toppers if you want to make it obvious to everyone that you are a Gryffindor. (laughs) My favorite topper by far is the sunglasses topper, which comes in lots of different colors. 
because it's so convenient to just snap those sunnies onto my glasses frame when I'm driving or at the pool so I don't have to look like a total dork with a pair of sunglasses over the top of my regular glasses. Has anyone else ever done this? Get glasses as unique as you are. One pair infinite style starting at just $60. Go to PairEyewear.com for 15% off your first purchase. That's 15% off at PairEyewear.com slash 3 and 30. And then our second takeaway, I can control how much I invest in connecting with each of my children individually. And I feel like it might seem like this has nothing to do with the sibling relationship when we're talking about me connecting with my individual children. But why is our individual relationship with each of our children so vital to the entire family unit functioning well? Well, the main reason children have conflicts is that they don't feel good enough in their own skin. So they want what their sibling has and mostly what their sibling has they think, is the parents. So the younger child might feel like the older child is the one who is always able to demonstrate their competence and intelligence and prowess. They know everything, the older child. And see how impressed the parents are by that? Whereas the older child might think the younger child is always on the parent's lap and that the parents always take the younger child's side and they must love the younger child more after all. They should have been satisfied with the first child. They shouldn't have had a second child or a third (laughs) child if they were satisfied with me, they're thinking, right? In fact, my son said that to me before his sister was born. He said, but you don't need a boy. You already have a boy. If it's a boy, can we send him back? (laughs) Oh, wow. So, So the entire sibling relationship from the beginning is shadowed by the relationships with the parents. Now, it can be made better or worse by having sort of natural chemistry or natural uh, anti-chemistry, you know, kids who really get on each other's nerves, one's an extrovert and one's an introvert, for instance. You can make the sibling relationship worse by that mix of temperaments. But Mm -hmm. in fact, the framework at the beginning, the foundation is one child suddenly has to move over and share the parents with a younger child or two children have to move over and share the parents. You would want the older child to know he still has parents who adore him, who just, who see who he is, appreciate who he is, take such delight in him, love being with him. When a child feels like that, when they know that if they really need you, you'll show up for them no matter what, That child no longer has to compete. There may be those instances, but you can repair those individual instances. Hmm. If it's the story of the whole relationship, if they feel like you prefer the other child and you're always criticizing them and yelling at them and telling them what they did wrong, you can assume that child is going to resent the the other sibling and take out all of that pain on their sibling. Yeah. And you know, I have seen, um, I feel like, our kids' natural temperaments can magnify this because when you have one child that has a naturally harder temperament and you're kind of on them more, and it's not that you want to be on them more than the other child, but the other child is naturally more compliant, Mm -hmm. then I feel like it starts to cast them into roles that I, I worry about my, my two, that we're casting them in roles that are going to stay with them, that one of them is the harder 
you know, more defiant. And then the other one is the more compliant, obedient. And I see both of them kind of trying to, they, they follow those roles and I don't want to cast them in roles like that. And so is this connection with each of them pouring into them individually and my relationship with them individually, is that a good antidote to kind of these roles developing? So it matters tremendously that relationship is with each child because for instance if you have a re- I had one who was definitely more challenging difficult and defiant and if I had uh, not really worked at that relationship she, she she jokes that she would have been a criminal today um, she, <laughs> she actually says that because if she she said if I had a different mom I would have been so rebellious <laughs> But you always understood, so I could always talk to you. And even if I didn't get what I wanted, you would understand, and it was okay. It worked out. Mm-hmm. So have a kid who's more challenging. You have to really put yourself into that relationship and build it, because otherwise, those strong-willed kids will, um, you know, you'll be in a knockdown dragout for for their entire childhood, basically. Mm-hmm. So you have to do that with those kids. But here's the thing: once you build that relationship. They're more cooperative. So then when you do need them to cooperate with you about anything, and that includes getting along with their sibling, they're more likely to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so how do you build this relationship one-on-one with children? I mean, it's one thing for moms. We all want to do this, but what's a concrete strategy for working on your relationship and pouring into that with individual children? Yeah. I think every child needs a daily interaction with a parent that helps them feel seen and appreciated, delighted in, and like you are taking time just with them. Your phone is off. Someone else has another kid, the other kid or whatever other children you have, the baby's asleep, whatever it is, so that you're able to say, I am all yours. What should we do? And you're not telling them what to do. You're not suggesting as they're playing with their Legos that maybe they should add wings so it flies. You're just appreciating them. Mm -hmm. And when we do that with kids, they it's like your love becomes tangible to them. They feel reassured and soothed. Mm -hmm. They feel secure in your love. Yeah. I think every child needs that every day. And, you know, I talk to parents who have five kids and say, how am I supposed to do this? I'm, I'm alone with the five kids. You know, my partner's not around in, in, during the day to do this. And it can be very hard to do. But I say there's a lot of information on my website about this and, and also in the sibling book about how to do this and make it work. Mm-hmm. I think it's something I would move heaven and earth to make sure I got that time every day with each child. Yeah. And you know, you say in your book several times, you have permission to let go of other things in your life. Who cares if your kids have cheese and crackers and deli meat for dinner, if you're, we're using that time to build relationships and to coach them. You're so right. And we can use it also to sit down with them when they're playing and notice what goes on. Mm. And you don't butt into the middle of it if it's working. Obviously, you just appreciate it. Yes. Yeah. When, before you walk away, you say, I love watching the two of you play. You have such a good time together. And you mm. walk away. And they think, yeah, mom likes it. We have a good time together. Yeah, we're going to have more of a good time together, which is the single best thing you can do for their relationship is allow them to have a good time together, right? 
because the research shows the more they have fun together, even though they sometimes fight, the closer they are for the rest of their lives, the more they view the relationship positively, right? But if you do see they're having a hard time, all the more important to go sit down on the floor next to them, they're playing, you're watching, and one of them says, no, my turn, or whatever, Mm -hmm. and you can say, Sounds like you want your your brother to, you're telling your brother it was your turn. You thought it was your turn, but now your brother has it. Hmm. I wonder how we can work this out. Yeah. And you start to give them the tools. And you could even say, and this, I'm just making up a situation. You could even say, um, Jonathan, you can tell your brother that it was still your turn. Could you have it back, please? Mm-hmm. And he says to his brother, I was still using it. Could I have it back, please? And then his brother says something you say, and you can ask, you know, Jeremy, um, when he thinks he'll be done with it. So you can have a turn too. So you coach them this way. And if you do this over and over again, they begin to use those words with each other. You'll hear them. Yes. And that leads perfectly into takeaway three, which is I can control the way I intervene in my children's conflicts. And this is a big, this is a big takeaway. We're actually going to do an entire episode on this process next week. But just to give a basic overview today, how do most parents intervene when children are fighting and what's a more effective way to intervene? Yeah. Most parents think that it's their job to solve the problem, to decide what's right and who's right and to lay down the law and to enforce the law. Mm -hmm. Makes sense, right? That's what we all do. You know, Jonathan, give that to Jeremy. And sometimes there's a good reason for it, like he just snatched it out of Jeremy's hands. Sometimes... It's because he's bigger and you think Jeremy's going to cry. So you say, you know, well, we don't want Jeremy to cry. He's just a little one. He doesn't really understand. Jonathan, you give that to him. You can wait till later, you know. Right. And we intervene in a way that that basically tells our kids how to solve the problem. So what's wrong with that? Well, number one, the kid who wins the skirmish because we take his side, that kid feels like, I won. Mm -hmm. And how does the other child feel? They lost. Yeah. And they feel that powerlessness. Yeah. Yeah. And they feel like, wow, she likes him better. Yeah. Mom likes him better. Always takes his side. Now, maybe you don't always. It doesn't matter because when we get into that negative place, we begin to look for confirming evidence to shore up our position of anger. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we, we look for evidence of this position, even if it's not true. Parents will say to me, it's just not true that I always take his little brother's side, but he thinks I do. And that's because over and over again, we intervene in a way that makes that child feel like they lost. Mm. And then they look for more evidence of that. So there is another way to do it. Yeah. We go in and we say, wow, I hear loud voices. You two are having a hard time. And then, so we acknowledge that. And then we say, we acknowledge each child's perspective. Mm, Yes. So, oh, you think it's your turn because you were just using it. And you think it's your turn because you've been waiting all this time. Is that right? So you acknowledge both people's position. Mm. Now, your children feel like, well, there's some hope here. Somebody at least understands. Even if I lose the battle here, they at least mom understands my position because what usually happens is the child doesn't even feel heard. Yeah. No, give that to your brother, we say. And the child who has to give it to his brother's like, do you even ever care about what I want or what I think or listen to me? Right? Even if it's not true, that's their takeaway. Yeah. So 
when we acknowledge both kids' perspective, then they feel like they've been validated. Anger only begins to diminish when it feels validated, when it feels heard. Let's take the word validation out because parents often wonder if that means they have to agree with the anger. No. When anger is heard, the person does not have to raise their voice further. They're able to start settling down because someone hears them. Yeah. So you, all you've done now, you haven't solved anything. All you've done is acknowledge both positions. Mm. And, you know, we used to think, I want to tell you about the research here, if we have time, a short research thing. Yeah. So they used to think that when you intervened in a fight, a sibling fight, it made the kids fight more. Mm-hmm. And that's true if you intervene this way. If you intervene and you go in and you tell the kids what to do and you say, give that back to your brother, what happens? Well, one kid is resentful. So you've just added uh, a log to the fire of sibling rivalry here. Mm -hmm. You're going to have a real conflagration if you do this often, right? Experts used to say, don't intervene in a sibling fight. They'll do better if you let them work it out themselves. And it makes sense on the surface of it, right? Because then you're not building in the resentment. And also you're allowing them to work something out they're building skills by working out. Mm -hmm. That's the idea. Mm -hmm. But then when we looked at the research, we realized siblings don't actually have good skills to work things out. What happens when you leave them to work it out themselves? The bigger one wins, the more powerful child wins. So we started to, to watch this camera over and over again. And we realized, right, it's true. If you don't intervene, there will be less fighting. But it's not because anything constructive is happening. The same child wins the fights over and over again. The other child is angry or is being taught to be compliant. And both kids think what they're doing is fine. After all, mom walked away and said, you work it out. She was in the kitchen. And it's so funny because children assume you hear what goes on, even though you couldn't possibly have heard over the noise of the radio in the kitchen or whatever. No, they assume if you're there in the house, you're endorsing what goes on, even if it's one kid threatening the other. So... It doesn't help to walk away. It doesn't help them build the skills. And it only reduces fighting because the less powerful child stops standing up for themselves. Yes. We don't want that. Yes. So there is another way to intervene. And it's the way I was modeling before where you don't make anyone wrong. You start by acknowledging both positions. Yes. We'll talk so much more about this next week in next week's episode because this was the biggest aha for me. I have heard over and over and over to ignore it, and it's never felt right to me. And when I read your book, I finally realized why. And so thank you for giving us that little introduction to that, and we're going to dive way deeper into that next week. Dr. Laura, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on today and for giving us these three initial takeaways. This is really part one of your book. You talk about, well, you have an entire first book um, about, it's called Peaceful parent, happy, happy children. Is that what it is? And peaceful parent, happy kids. Yeah. And it does cover these three big ideas. Yes. Yeah. And, and then in, and then in the second book, in the siblings book, you spend the first half or not quite half, but you, the first little portion is this because it really does start with us. And then you spend the rest of the book talking about actually coaching and the dynamic between siblings, but it starts with us. And that's why I, 
titled this episode Fail Proof Ways to Reduce Sibling Rivalry. It's fail proof because it's it's us. It's our actions and our behavior. We'll never be able to control what our kids do, but we can control what we do. And that's what makes it fail proof. Beautiful. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being here today. And I can't wait for you to join us again for next week. My pleasure. Talk to you next week. I want to end this episode with a quote straight from the introduction of Dr. Laura's book because it captures exactly what I hope you will walk away feeling after you listen to this episode. Not discouragement or guilt, but hope that you now know about your superpower, as Dr. Laura calls it, and you're ready to use it. In the book, Dr. Laura says, quote, Please summon up all your compassion and forgive yourself right now for being human. Decide right now that instead of criticism, you'll give yourself extra nurturing when you're not at your best, which happens on a regular basis to every parent. Really, no matter what, I don't care what you've done while you were exhausted or furious. You're human, which means you make mistakes and you can grow. You don't have to have parented perfectly and you don't have to be perfect in the future. Whatever is happening in your family right now, this is where you start. So where are we going to start this week? We can start with understanding what we can control within our children's relationship with each other. And that's three things. First, we can control our own behavior and the way we model self-regulation for our children by not flipping out and yelling. (laughs) Second, we can control how much we invest in connecting with each of our children individually so they don't feel as much need to rival for our attention and love. Third, we can control how we intervene in our children's conflicts coming in as someone who can coach them and help them build skills, not as a judge or a referee. This is not easy work, my friends. It is soul stretching. I imagine that this takes a lifetime to master, but I've decided where I'm going to start this week. I'm going to start by speaking kindly to my children, even when I'm upset with them. And if I mess up and I raise my voice or get snippy, I'm going to say right then in the moment, something like, Dang it, I made a mistake. I don't want to talk to you in a mean way when I'm angry. I'm sorry. Let me try that again. And then I will rephrase what I was going to say in a kinder way. You can still have a firm boundary with your children, but do it in a self-regulated, kind way. And that is what I'm going to work on this week. I think it will be powerful to bring my kids into the process with me and let them see me humbly working through becoming calmer, more self-regulated, asking for forgiveness so that they know how to immediately repair and start to rewire a habit when they make a mistake. When you make the mistake, just repair it right then. Repair and rewire. We can all be working on this in our family together. My friends, we've got this. We can start to shift our children's relationships simply by the way that we interact with them. This is hard work, but it is worth it. I can't wait to be with you for next week's episode where we're going to dive in so much deeper into just how to coach and guide our children through their conflicts. Make sure you come back for that episode and I hope you have a great week with your family.